Welcome to Nobody Told Me. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. Have you ever heard the term emotional labor? You're about to hear it a lot as we talk with our guest, journalist Gemma Hartley, whose new book is called Fed Up, Emotional Labor, Women, and the Way Forward. Gemma, thank you so much for joining us today. We are so excited to have this conversation with you. Yeah, thank you for having me. Talk to us about that first viral article that started it all. It was called Women Aren't Nags, We're Just Fed Up. Yes. <laughs> so I had pitched that article and had no idea that it would have that kind of a reach. And it was the first, like, even remotely negative thing I'd ever written about my relationship and my husband. <laughs> so I'm like, oh, you know, welcome to my world. A million people have, you know, seen your <laughs> your Mother's Day mess up. Right, right. Um, <laughs> yeah. And I was just blown away at the response um, because I had just really started thinking about emotional labor and everything that goes into that invisible work that women do to keep everyone around them on track and comfortable and... I didn't think it would have that broad of a reach. And so when it did, I was so excited to get the opportunity to write a whole book on it. Well, tell us more about what that term emotional labor really means. So every woman I know does emotional labor, whether she knows the term or not. It's all of the invisible work that we do to keep everyone on track and also keep them comfortable in the process planning the holidays, um, scheduling play dates, doing all of the emotion work with your kids so they don't, you know, melt down and throw tantrums, um, making sure that we're using the right tone when we're asking for something, uh, sending reminders to our partners to do their half of the chores. So it's all of this mental and emotional work that we're doing day in and day out that no one really notices. And do you always think it's a gender thing? And why do you think there are different expectations for men and women? So it is not always a gender thing. And I talk to a really wide variety of people for the book. Stay-at-home dads, um, gay couples, like people across the spectrum. So it is definitely not gender specific. However, women are the ones who are usually saddled with this work because we're really conditioned to do it from a very young age. And so what I found while researching this book is that starting very early, like as early as three, we're picking up on these social cues that are telling us this is women's work. And then we internalize that. And as we grow up, it gets reinforced over and over again. And so by the time we reach adulthood and we're starting to be in serious partnerships, we are primed to do all of the emotional labor, and our partners usually are not in any way. Well, how is emotional labor inherently bad, or, or is it inherently bad? It's not inherently bad. Actually, a lot of what I write about in the book is how it's inherently good. The problem is that we don't have it balanced between ourselves and our partners. That's where the issues arrive. But emotional labor is inherently a really great thing because it's really like empathetic problem solving. And so it really brings us into our lives. We're really 
attached to all of the details of our lives. We're looking at the big picture. And I think men learning the skill of emotional labor will really be better for everyone because it will bring them a little bit more fully into their lives while also giving their partners a little bit more time and mental space that they so desperately need. You say that emotional labor and that cycle that can be unhealthy starts in childhood. How do you model a healthy relationship for your children so that they end up being healthy with their emotional labor? So I think it really starts at home. You really need to set boundaries, talk to your partner about emotional labor, because most men, my husband included, don't even realize we're doing this stuff. Exactly. It's not even it's not even on their radar. And a lot of the times we think that we're you know, we think that it's so obvious, but it's not. And so it takes a lot of really open, vulnerable communication to sort of get to a place where you're more balanced. And it's a long and gradual process, but it really it really hinges on having you know, both people in the household doing equal shares of the emotional labor and physical labor. At what age do you think the kids start to pick up on the fact that somebody's doing more than the other? So it's really interesting. And the research, it shows that they start picking up those gender roles and especially at home by the age of three. So it starts really young. They can't verbalize it, but they can see it and they're processing it. And so they're learning way, way younger than you would think. It's not, you know, when they're splitting chores with their brother and it's unequal. It's when they're toddlers. They can really recognize that mom does this work, dad does this work. And yet it's not just in the home where women are expected to perform this emotional labor, is it? No, it absolutely spills over into all aspects of our lives. So in the workplace, Women are definitely the ones that are more likely to be planning the office get-togethers, getting the coffee, doing all of these extra little jobs to keep everyone comfortable, as well as being that emotional sounding board for other people. So you might have a coworker come to you and want to bounce ideas off of you, but then when it comes time for you to need that same support, then you don't get it. Or if you're in the middle of something that is very important, you're expected to drop everything in order to cater to someone else. Because if you're not um, focused on other people, then you're cold, you're bitchy, you're not, you're just not fulfilling that emotional labor that people expect of you. And talk to us about the guilty feelings that women feel here. Like if they're not the ones to plan the office party and people expect the woman to do that. Yes. So in the workplace, even if you didn't have guilt about it, there are usually consequences. It will really change people's perception of you. But across the board, women that I spoke to felt so much guilt over emotional labor left undone because there is this pressure to do it all and to have it all. And if we're not doing all the emotional labor, are we really doing it all? And it's really tough to sort of break out of that mindset and to get to a place where equal feels right for you. 
you know, you contend that sometimes having it all means having too much on your plate. And I'm reminded of a saying someone told me one time. They said, you can have it all. You just can't have it all at the same time. Do you agree with that? Yes, I've heard that a lot, that you can have it all, but not all at the same time. And so I um, I was speaking with someone else about this, and she said, I don't want it all. I want half of everything. And I think that is more my speech. Interesting. Okay. I haven't like heard that before. Idea. Yeah. Um, I, was, I was speaking with Cheryl Strait on another podcast about emotional labor, and she said, I don't want it all. I want half of everything. And that really resonated with me. I just love that because that's what we should want in a partnership. We shouldn't want to take on everything. We should want to share it equally. And that means sharing in the good stuff and the burdensome stuff. And I'm, I'm a hundred percent on board with that now. I don't want it all. I want half. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Half sounds good. (laughs) Yeah. Half gives you a lot more time and mental space and emotional energy and I think we could all use a little bit more of that. And there's something that I think the men listening may wonder. Why don't women just ask us to do more instead of just bottling it all up or venting it to their friends? Well, here's the thing. The asking is the emotional labor. It's the noticing and the asking to do stuff. It's not the domestic labor itself. It's the fact that you always have to ask and that your partner is not someone who notices or takes initiative. And so that is the big issue. And asking doesn't seem like it's that big of a deal to guys. But picture it this way. Picture that I I would come home and sit on the couch and anything that needed to be done around the house, my husband would have to ask me to do it. Anything. Bathe the kids, make dinner, do anything, do take out the trash, anything at all had to be asked. And when you sort of flip the script like that, it's hard to imagine like a woman that would not do anything unless being asked to do that. And so you really see the divide on who is doing the emotional labor when you put it in that term. How does the expectation that women will be the ones to perform emotional labor fuel gender inequality and adversely affect us in general? So the expectation that women are the only ones to perform emotional labor is really, really adding to the gender gap in many ways. It's making sure that all of our time and our mental space and our emotional energy is being eaten up by those around us all the time. And we are expected to be really selfless and give of ourselves and give of ourselves until there is nothing left. And it's pretty easy to see how in a partnership that might benefit your spouse. That might make it so they have all of the mental space in the world to focus on their career while yours is suffering because you've got the grocery list running through your head all the time and it's hard to focus on your creative work. So (laughs) that's really, that's part of it. And then in the workplace, being the one who is that sounding board, being the one who is always expected to do these extra little nice things can really hamper the time that you have to spend on your work. And so there are all of these little ways that add up to make gender inequality a really tough thing to break free from. And then 
on the flip side, men are not getting the full experience of their lives. They are sort of on autopilot and having someone else do everything for them. I think about my husband's life before I wrote this book, and it was sort of like, go to work, work is the thing you do, and then you come home and anything else, I'll ask you to do it. Right. And so he wasn't super involved in his own life, in his personal life. And I think that's a really important thing for men to have. What's the price of this unpaid emotional labor? So when I think of what the cost is of emotional labor, I'm usually not thinking, you know, you can't really put a monetary price on it, but it's costing us a lot of time. Thinking about all of those things takes a lot of time. Planning everything takes time. Reminding people takes time. It also takes up a lot of our mental space. So we don't have as much room to think. I know a lot of mothers who deal with a lot of emotional labor who say thinking feels like a luxury. Just being able to think and not thinking about the grocery list, not thinking about what needs to be done next is a luxury. I don't know any man who thinks the same thing, that just being able to think is a luxury. Yeah. And then it costs us in our emotional energy. We just get really depleted because we are not having the space to take care of ourselves emotionally when we are constantly caring for other people, constantly looking out for how we're going to affect everyone else around us and how we can sort of keep the peace in every situation. And I love this quote that you had, emotional labor is the unpaid job men still don't understand. Yes. I mean, that just goes with it perfectly. It's so so true. Yeah. And it, you know, I don't, I don't blame men for not seeing it. But now that we have the language to talk about it, I really hope we can start moving forward together because it became so obvious once I had put it into words, like, oh, this is what needs to change. And we were able to have really open conversations about it in my marriage. And it changed things because my husband didn't want to put all of the emotional labor on me. He didn't even know it was a thing. But then as soon as we were able to start talking about it, and I had, you know, this new language to talk about it in a way that made sense to him, it really changed things. And I'm hoping that will be what happens going forward. So what are the signs that you would advise women to pay attention to that may indicate they're taking on too much emotional labor, either at work or at home? So I think one thing that is really helpful to think about is listing all of the things that, I mean, don't list every single thing that you're doing. You'll be there for days. (laughs) (laughs) Sort of think about what things am I doing that other people, my partner or other people at work, aren't doing and sort of see if that if that is causing any stress, if it's causing any anxiety, if you feel like you can't, you know, think straight a lot of the time. That was one of my really big issues. I felt like my brain had just gone, that it had left my body. And there was nothing there but, you know, the to-do list all the time. And I think feeling emotionally depleted is one big sign that you are taking on way too much emotional labor. And I think 
most women are going to find that when they start looking at the examples of what emotional labor is, you know, so many women read that initial article and they were like, oh my gosh, this, this is my life. This is exactly the thing that is, you know, just wearing on me day in and day out. And so I think the big thing isn't figuring out if you're doing too much emotional labor. You probably are. It's figuring out what needs to change. What are some good productive ways to explain that we're feeling overwhelmed? So I think one really helpful thing is to not approach it in anger and resentment. Which which is kind of how it all comes out, you know? Yes. And I mean, I... I always advise people, don't start the way I did by like (laughs) having a meltdown in the closet in mother on Mother's Day. I mean, it worked for me eventually, but I would not advise that. I think what really brought about change in my relationship was when we started talking about it as a cultural phenomenon, really having this new language to talk about it and also being able to look at it from this perspective of it's not something wrong with you or me, but it's something wrong with how we were raised in this culture. And we need to be really conscious about changing it. It sort of takes the blame out of it. And it puts you on equal ground where you're both working to undo this social conditioning that you've both been through. And so I think that has been the most helpful way for me to start that conversation. And then if you have kids, that's a great way to start in on the conversation is I want to change this for our children. I want them both to have the, you know, I have two sons and a daughter. I want them all to have the skills of emotional labor. And I want them to have the expectation that they'll have a partner that will take on their fair share of emotional labor as well. So what are you doing as a mother to encourage that in in your kids? So I think really with me and my husband on a a really good place where we're sharing all of the emotional labor in a way that I feel is pretty equal, I don't have to do a lot of talking at this point. They're three, five, and seven. So they sort of, you know, are just absorbing what they're seeing. As they get older, I imagine that it's going to be making sure that everyone is you know, emotionally attuned to everyone around them and that they really take note of what is going on in their lives. I know a lot of women spoke to me about how they, you know, hit the age of doing a lot of chores and they noticed that their brothers wouldn't have as many chores as them or they wouldn't have the same chores as them. And there was this instant divide. And I want to make sure that my children are all on equal ground and that they know how to take care of themselves as well as others. I'm unmarried and I don't have any children, but I am dating. And I'm wondering how I can establish new boundaries in a relationship. I think that is the best time to be at. There is nothing (laughs) to unlearn in a relationship at that point. So you establish boundaries early. And when something comes up, you know, I, I say in the book that, Emotional labor isn't something that just gets dumped on you all at once. You take it on step by step throughout a relationship until it's all on you. So don't let that happen. You know, now that you're aware of emotional labor and what it is, I think you will be more aware of, oh, 
I'm taking over something that maybe my partner should be doing for himself. And you can have a conversation about that. If he has an expectation that you think is unfair, you can talk that out and you can just make sure that those boundaries are never pushed beyond where you're comfortable. So what advice do you have for women who are feeling emotionally drained from their mental workload? Would you advise them to seek counseling or what? So I I am not a uh, able to give any sort of medical advice or therapy advice, but I think if you're feeling emotionally exhausted, the thing that needs to happen is having better boundaries. That usually means that you are not setting good boundaries for yourself when it comes to emotional labor and you are not taking care of your emotional needs or no one around you is helping to take care of your emotional needs. So I think it's really about knowing yourself and knowing when you are giving too much and being able to say, you know, no, I can't do this. I can't, I can't tend to you right now. I need to tend to myself. And that's a really hard thing for people to learn. I think therapy and counseling is probably a really good thing for most people. I think everyone can benefit from that. Um, But I think it's really about finding and drawing those boundaries in your life about how much emotional labor you're willing to put forward. I'm curious to know, what is your big hope for the book? How do you hope it changes society? So my big hope for the book is First, that it starts a conversation with people that now that we have, you know, all of these new terms and these new ways of thinking about emotional labor, that we can come to a better understanding of each other. I think the most powerful thing that has happened in my relationship over the past year of writing this book is that I feel for the first time in, you know, my 10-year marriage that my husband really sees me and understands me in a way that does not leave me feeling isolated or frustrated because it used to be that he'd come home at the end of the day and yes, he would help out whenever I asked him to, but he would not understand everything that I was doing and he would not see everything that I was doing. And I feel like that has completely changed. He now sees me, he understands me, and I think he is much more involved in his own life as well. And so I really hope that men take up emotional labor, not just because it will help their partners, but because it will give them a richer, fuller life. It will really connect them to their children, connect them to their personal lives in a way that is not happening right now. And I think really getting to a place of equality with emotional labor is going to be one of the best ways to dismantle that toxic masculinity that we are struggling with in society right now. When you initially wrote the article that went viral, the article, Women Aren't Nags, We're Just Fed Up, were you surprised by the tremendous response it received? Oh, absolutely. I had no idea it would resonate like that. And it was so exciting when it did because you know, I already knew that this was something that I could write a book about. It was something I was passionate about. I felt like I talked to my friends about it all the time. But I thought, oh, it's just, you know, me and my friend group are very similar. And, you know, you kind of surround yourself with people like you. And the 
outpour of response to that article brought people from all different walks of life. I was just astonished by how many different people. And then again, as I wrote the book, I was so surprised by how universal emotional labor was, um, you know, across the board. Talk to us a little bit about the backlash that you received for that first article, Women Aren't Nags, We're Just Fed Up. Yes, I did get some. And some of it was really constructive. Some of it was that it was too narrowly focused on my experience and that it really was not intersectional enough because, you know, black women and women of color do so much more emotional labor than I will ever do, than I will ever understand. And a lot of that was just, you know, I had 1500 words and it was a personal essay, but that brought it to my attention and I was able to go into that in the book which was wonderful. And the other backlash that I got was generally just from men who thought I was too demanding. And so that I'm, or that didn't even believe emotional labor existed, which I have a whole book about it. I, you know, I'm fairly certain it exists. And as for the, I'm just too controlling or too demanding. I think that is really just a cop out saying, I don't want to do the work on myself. So I, you know, I didn't get too much backlash that I'm aware of. I didn't really like check Twitter or anything when it was going on, when I knew it went viral. So I sort of protected myself from a lot of that, but I did, I did get a lot of that constructive criticism, which really helped inform the book. What do you think the response to the book will be? I really hope that the response to the book will be positive. Obviously, I, I would hope that as the author. But I really hope that men will be able to read this and, you know, or talk with their partners about it and get a deeper understanding of this as not, you know, not something that is an attack against them, but an invitation to come into better relationships and to really help them live better lives on more equal ground with their partners. Gemma, as you know, our show is called Nobody Told Me. And at the end of each show, we ask our guests, what is your nobody told me lesson? So in your case, what is it that nobody told you about emotional labor that you wish you'd known? Oh, man. Nobody told me that emotional labor was not something that could be fixed with a single conversation. I really thought after we had that one talk that sort of, you know, was wrapped into the article on Mother's Day, how I said, you know, I don't want to have to ask for help. I want you to have equal initiative. I thought that would solve everything. And it hasn't. So I wish <laughs> someone had told me that because it would have saved me a lot of grief. But it's a long process and I'm so happy to be in the middle of it right now. And Gemma, how can people connect with you on social media? Uh, I am on Instagram at Gemma underscore Hartley. All right. Perfect. Oh, Sounds yeah. good. Perfect. Well, our thanks to Gemma Hartley, whose new book is called Fed Up, Emotional Labor, Women and the Way Forward. I'm Laura Owens. And I'm Jan Black. And you've been listening to Nobody Told Me. Thanks so much for joining us.
say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.